when you're a teenager, your body's like growing and developing, your cycle or their child cycle might actually be a little irregular in the beginning. And no one's told this, but that's actually kind of normal because they've gone a period of their life where they haven't had a cycle and then now they're getting one. Their body has to relearn how to operate with these new hormones and everything. So it's okay if it's a little irregular. Now, if it's super heavy and super painful, we need to treat that root cause. And I don't think birth control is the best answer. Hey there, my friends, it's Dr. Anthony Balduzzi, and I want to welcome you back to another episode here on the Fit Mother Project podcast. Today, I'm joined by my friend, Dr. Samantha Bergulio, who is a naturopathic physician who focuses on hormone and fertility care for women. And actually, she's really going to give a deep dive conversation into how women can optimize their hormonal health in every stage of life. So many of you listening may be past the point in life where you're concerned about your fertility, but maybe you have a daughter or someone in your family who is trying to conceive and wants to be as healthy as possible. We're going to talk about a natural and holistic approach to becoming more fertile. We're also going to talk about things like birth control, um, Dr. B's thoughts on that, as well as how we can age gracefully into menopause, perimenopause, postmenopause, and it's just amazing. So I'm grateful you're here, Dr. B. Thanks for being here. I'd love for you to kick it off before we get into you know, the content to share a little bit of your background on why you're so passionate about this topic of women's health, hormones, and fertility. Hi. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I feel like it kind of goes, it's the same story for a lot of naturopaths, but we had our own experience, whether that be you know, when from when I was a child, it was like crazy allergies that no one could figure out what was wrong, but my naturopath did, saved my life to, you know, aging, get, becoming a teenager, having my own journey, being on and off birth control, um, finding natural ways that worked for me. And, um, and then learning honestly about my family's history and past and their struggles with fertility. I feel like it all just kind of led to this point of like, I need to work with women, hormones, and fertility. And that's the really short version, but that's how I got to where I am today. Love it. And I'm going to kind of frame this. I was looking up some stats in prep for this conversation just to look at the fertility thing. Um, I think we were just hearing so many different aspects. We hear that like the world is overpopulated and we're running out of resources. But I was looking up some statistics. And what's interesting is like in 2020, at the time I was looking up the sightings for this, the world's fertility rate stood at 2.3. And that is slightly above the replacement rate of 2.1 births per women, which allows one generation to replace itself. So I want to ask you, are, do you think, are there environmental things happening right now? Or are women becoming less fertile? Or we just have more communication that we're talking about these things right now? But like, what's going on maybe on an epidemiological scale with fertility? Yeah, I feel like, like, yes to all of those things. <laughs> um, I would say that you do hear more often now that people struggle with fertility. It's really hard to say, do more people talk about it now versus in the past? Because it was the past, right? Like I, we, I don't really know. Um, 
However, you know, there was my grandmother who struggled to conceive for 10 years and then adopted and then ended up having my mother. So I'm like, okay, well, that was someone in the past who struggled with fertility. And I doubt she told anyone or honestly had that many conversations, even with her doctors about it. So, you know, I don't really know if it's, if it's the levels are rising or increasing, or if like no one talked about it, maybe a little bit of both, like one, people are finally talking about it. And two, the environment that we now have is not the best for fertility. Um, it is true. And it is a fact that, you know, what used to be optimal and normal is not the same as optimal and normal today. And what I mean by that for a quick example is that morphology, like semen morphology, people are saying like, or when you go to a doctor's office, men are told that like 4% morphology is okay. Um, it, it should be 15% and above. So that's like not even close. Like the normal, just because it's normal in today's population. So is that 15% of your semen volume has actual sperm in it? Like, is that what it's trying to say? Oh, great question. Actually, morphology is the shape of the sperm. So that means only 4%, they were saying, that only 4% have to be like actual normal shape that can actually meet egg. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And it's like only 4%, that would have been totally infertile way back when. Yeah. And I think it's an important thing you brought up too, that I think the fertility thing, a lot of women carry guilt and I'm maybe I'm, I'm a guy, so th- I'm just speaking not from my direct experience, but I think there is a conversation around women feeling like they're the problem when it comes to fertility, but obviously men are having issues. Sperm quality, as you mentioned, is going down. The amount of sperm is going down. The amount of men with low testosterone are getting on TRT therapy very early is going up like crazy. So there is like environmental factors on both sides that are affecting things. Yes, hundred percent. Um, and, you know, it is 50-50. So I, I usually bring in a male example, honestly, just so people can see that it's not just women. And like you said, women have, I feel like they carry the weight on their shoulders or the world on their shoulders, excuse me, when it comes to fertility. Like it's not all of them. Um, yes, environmental factors impact their hormones. Also, the world that we live in is so go, 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 go. Like talk about adrenal fatigue and stress, which all leads back to hormonal imbalance, um, which I know we'll kind of dive into in a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely like partly our stressful environments, no doubt about that and how that affects the adrenals, the the, the thyroid, all these important endocrine glands um, are massively impacted by stress. But I think it's also straight environmental toxicants to a certain extent. I think there was a widely quoted study that shows that the average newborn today, if you actually take samples from the umbilical cord, there's over like 280 different industrial chemicals ranging from plastics, flame retardants, pesticides, all sorts of stuff. Um, Is that something that you focus on in your practice or discuss with your patients? Oh, yes. Um, We talk environmental toxins all the time. And a lot of people focus on environmental toxins um, because of just the fertility piece. But exactly, just like you said, if it can also impact baby. So I make a really... I make it really clear to everyone I work with and hopefully people can tell from like my social media and what I put out there that reducing your environmental toxin load is really important. And there's so many ways to do that. Um, Even just starting with slowly switching out your products. I'm like, you don't even have to do it all at once. Like once you run out of your old shampoo, replace it with a non-toxic one. Mm -hmm. Well, let's get, let's get into the specifics on that because I think before we get into some of the deeper hormone stuff, I think it's a valuable little pit stop with 
stuff we're in our homes. So like, we know there's environmental toxicants. Where are these coming from? What are some of the main sources? And like, if you were to go do like an extreme home makeover with somebody and go through their home, what things would you throw out in which categories and what would you replace? Like, where can people start to think about their own homes in relation to how to clean things up? Yeah, that's a great question. So I one tell people before I even start with this conversation is to have patience with yourself. Um, to understand that, you know, switching things over can get overwhelming and all of a sudden you'll start looking things up and it will be like everything around me is toxic. And I don't want people to stress over that because again, that just causes more issues. But if we were to slowly go around and start eliminating things, I start with the things that we use every day. So dish soap, laundry detergent, lotion, makeup, um, shampoo and conditioner. If you use, if you um, use like shaving cream or shaving gel that your soap that you use, your bar of soap. Um, like, like I said, like everyday, um, things that you use because that's, that's what you're being exposed to constantly. And then the next things would be like cleaners, right? So throw away your Windex. (laughs) There's plenty of other things that are great and actually work better than Windex. Um, Windex actually even came out, I think with like a vinegar version, like they knew, they knew it was coming. Um, and so then you just kind of start working your way up things to add in instead of like taking away or replacing. Um, I love a HEPA filter an RO water filter. If you're not ready for the RO, cause those are kind of like, you have to build those like into your sink. Um, you can get a filter as long as it filters fluoride. I'm like a filter, a filter is better than no filter. So just definitely do that. Um, and replacing basically all plastics, you know, using stainless steel and glass instead, same thing, you know, making sure that your pans and your cookware is non-toxic. Like, like I said, I feel like we can go on and on, but, um, another thing someone once told me was eliminating the extras. So, you know, don't put perfume on, change out your deodorant. Um, never use those little dryer sheets. There's those, um, I forgot what they're called, like wool. They're like sheep wool or something like that. The balls that like are act as dryer sheets. So I just kind of listed a ton of things. Any other questions about specific things? (laughs) No, but that was good. I think I actually just kind of want to summarize that. It's like stuff that you're putting on Mm -hmm. your skin. So, or like, so that's the hair products, the lotions, the hand soaps, the dish soaps, stuff that's like getting onto your clothes, which gets onto your skin and then stuff that you're breathing and drinking. So that's like the water filter and ale filter. So the stuff that's coming into our bodies constantly. And I mean, it is a big conversation, but I think it is a big part of long-term health. And I will direct people to um, a place called the Environmental Workers Group, the EWG.org. If you go to EWG.org, they have guides on there with like the best cleaners. They've tested everything. So you can actually like find some of the best products. So there's lots of resources, but it seems valuable because we know a lot of these chemicals, whether there's like phthalates or stuff like this, actually are hormone disruptors. They can cause problems actually at the estrogen receptor and other things. So I guess in terms of fertility and overall health, like it's key, let alone for your kids, right? I mean, they're little, they're developing. You don't want them having crazy stuff in there. Yeah, I totally agree. And cookware. Yeah. And I love the EWG app. That app's amazing. What I tell a lot of people, because sometimes I get frustrated because they're like, all brands aren't on there. And I'm like, EWG is like a resource that you can use. It's amazing. You can check even like the quality of your water, but there's also an awesome resource on there that can teach you how to read ingredients. So you don't always need that. 
So then you can start to learn like mm-hmm. what's toxic, what's not toxic. Yeah. And so you can just start looking up ingredients by themselves and then you will eventually really not need that resource to lean on, which is also really cool, right? So instead of like taking something out yeah. and checking constantly, you'll just know. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it kind of reminds me of like the journey of people learning to read nutrition labels is the same. Like at first, like you're learning, you're looking for things to look for. But then after a while, you get the competency where you can read things and you'll look on the label and you're like, oh, this says phthalates or this says some other thing that I don't know, or it's chlorobromo something. And like, I know that's not good for me. So it's it's a skill, but I guess anyone who's listening to this right now, like that could be something fun to investigate this week. Now, want to go to the next topic, which I guess is like birth control. It's fascinating. I mean, birth control, what a, what, what, like, uh, I guess I could say a privilege that women have the ability now to choose when they get pregnant. And there's a lot of power and freedom in that. At the same time, this is legitimately giving external hormones into the female system to prevent like the natural process of ovulation. And there's consequences for this. So can you give us your naturopathic take on birth control? I guess like pros, cons, considerations, and like how you talk to your patients about birth control? Yeah. First, I love that you kind of said like, it is a privilege, like, thank goodness we do have this method and it is available for those who truly need it. Um, I will say, I kind of talk to people about birth control very often. And I like to say, I want to meet you where you're at, right? So birth control, yes, you are giving yourself synthetic hormones. It does stop your cycle. Like you do not have a real period on birth control. Um, I think it has been used way too much to basically put a Band-Aid over a bullet hole, right? Um, because we're women are coming in and being like, I'm having really heavy periods and I have really bad cramps or I have acne. And they're like, here, just take the pill instead of like, let's discover why. So I think for a while it was just given out like for everything related to the menstrual cycle that was bad. And I think, I don't think that was right. Um Although if you use it as a method to prevent conception, like I understand that, you know, everyone's at a different place in their life. Um, There are other methods though. There are natural methods. Obviously there are barrier methods such as condoms or a diaphragm and so on. Um, But if I'm being honest, if I were to say which hormonal birth control I like the best, it'd probably be Mirena. Um, the reason why I like that one so much is because it's one, it's more localized. So it's not as, I mean, every, anything in your body is going to become systemic, but it's not the same amount of hormone as the pill. And then two, it usually doesn't stop ovulation. So you're not getting necessarily a real period or you're sometimes people don't even bleed while they're on it, but there has been shown that ovulation can still occur. And I do believe that's really important. Mm-hmm. Well, we see a lot of we see a lot of PCOS kind of stuff. I don't know if that's correlated with people not ovulating, but you'd think if these ovaries are meant to eject these eggs and like you're kind of stopping that, it's very easy that you could have like follicular cysts build up and people have issues. So, I mean, it seems related in my opinion, but I, you're the expert in that. Yeah, no, you're totally right. And I mean, we we want our body to go through its natural cycle, right? The reasons why we're stopping it is, you know, it's different for every person, but if it's because you're having, you know, if you have PCOS, first of all, like, I don't think being on birth control is like the right route at all. Um, but, you know, if you're someone who has endometriosis and you're planning to conceive in the next year and you want to slow down endometrial tissue growth, maybe it is best for you. Um, so it's very like case by case, but I would say majority of people don't necessarily need it unless they don't want to learn to track by themselves or use a barrier method for, 
um, contraception. Sounds good. I have a question for those listening that have maybe young daughters. Like, is mm-hmm. there is there an age range that you'd counsel people, like, if possible? Like, okay, let's assume someone has a daughter who they know is not sexually active and and let's say they can stay that way. Like, what is their uh, ideal age to hold off or to introduce? Like, what's the timing of this kind of stuff? So you're saying not a non-sexual, non-sexually active yeah, individual. A, a non-sexually active individual um, in their teens, you know, okay. like what, when is there, is there a time to, is there an optimal in your opinion? And then maybe what like is practical? Let's talk about that landscape a little bit. I mean, I personally would tell them to not ever put their child on it, especially because when you're a teenager, your body's like growing and developing your cycle or their child cycle might actually be a little irregular in the beginning. And no one's told this, but that's actually kind of normal because they've gone a period of their life where they haven't had a cycle and then now they're getting one, their body has to relearn how to operate with these new hormones and everything. So it's okay if it's a little irregular. Now, if it's super heavy and super painful, we need to treat that root cause. And I don't think birth control is the best answer. Got it. All right. So let's talk about some nutritional considerations around helping women have healthy cycles. And we're going to be in still like the the pre-menopause phase, um, what, what's important to talk about? And then I guess we'll transition a little bit to talking about perimenopause, menopause, and what we can do in those later stages. But like, I guess like nutritional and lifestyle considerations, like what are like the holy pillars of basically food, restoration, sleep, supplementation, anything in that realm? Let's start to talk about that. Yeah, I feel like I could talk about this forever and ever. Honestly, all these topics, right? Like, I'm just like, oh, I get so excited. Um, my first and forever first thing would be sleep, 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 sleep. It all starts in the brain. So if we're talking any hormonal cascade, anything that's going to happen the next day needs to, it requires sleep, right? Your cerebral spinal fluid is, I kind of tell people it's like dirty water by the end of the day, right? And if you're not sleeping, it's not being cleaned. It's not being replenished. And the next day it can almost even get dirtier right? And we don't want a bunch of dirty water, like running, like running our system, because that's going to make things foggier, hazier. It's just not going to be as good. You're not going to be as sharp. And so sleep starts it all. You're not going to want to work out. You're not going to eat as healthy if you don't sleep. So I tell people, I go, I rather have you sleep than wake up an hour earlier than to get movement. Like sleep is everything. For sure. And then I guess it creates some create some stress on the adrenals too, right? I mean, you'll have higher cortisol the next day and then that's going to have a cascading impact on thyroid hormone conversion. So it's like you're like good naturopathic advice, start at the top root cause foundational stuff and let the body kind of cascade down in its effects. So I guess that for people with young kids too, it's like you got to help them sleep better, which means getting off the phones late at night, being in good circadian rhythm balance with blue light and getting morning sunshine and all the stuff we've talked about here, but sleep, super important. Keep on going through this. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Sleep number one. Also, yeah, I actually recommend people sleep with their phones outside the room. Um, I sleep with mine outside my room. I think it's helped so much. Um, Personally, I just wake up with the sun. So I just, I have like an internal body clock, but if you don't, people always worry about not having an alarm set. I'm like, one, you can probably hear it if you put it on outside, um, like even outside in the other room. And then you just have to get up to turn it off, which is even better. And then um, two, you can buy an old fashioned alarm clock. It's okay. (laughs) They're super cheap. (laughs) 
Um, so yeah, sleep's going to be number one. If people struggle with sleep or have insomnia, I know that definitely can be a barrier. I always recommend, you know, going into a practitioner, talking to them about it, but always try like sleep hygiene habits first, you know, getting into a good sleep routine is really important. Establish a bedtime for you and your kids, right? Like that's going to be, that's going to be huge because then you have to hold yourself accountable to go to bed on time. Um, yeah. plan at least seven to eight hours for sure. I mean, I myself need a good, like eight and a half to nine. So I just know like, this is what I need a lot of sleep. Like I said, I could talk forever just on sleep alone, but I just like to emphasize how important it is. Um, next up would probably be, you know, I mean, nutrition is so big kind of tying into the environmental toxins that we talked about before, you know, focusing on the um, clean 15 and dirty dozen for those who don't know what those are. Um, basically clean 15 are the fruits and vegetables that have the least amount of pesticides on them when they're not organic dirty dozen have the most amount of pe pesticides on them if they are organic or if they're not organic, excuse me. Um, so focusing on buying, you know, that those that way, the clean 15 is kind of there to save you some money on organic foods, but always buy organic when you can ultimately. Um, yeah. I do know it's expensive. So sometimes one of my big recommendations is actually you can buy non-organic. I'd rather have you eat fruits and vegetables than avoid them because of money. Um, and you can actually soak them, put some baking soda in water and just soak the fruits yeah. and veggies for like 15 minutes. And then that's, that's going to be really helpful. Yeah. So yeah, that's going to be huge. And then, um, obviously like meats and dairies, I always want those organic, uh, people don't talk about this a lot, but grass fed is different than grass finished. We really want grass yeah. finished. However, like I said, at the end of the day, grass fed and organic is going to be better than non-organic or grass fed. So, you know, you pick your battles. I'm just talking to give you some information and then you can make those decisions. Obviously, I love to focus. I don't. I shouldn't say obviously because naturopaths, I feel like, have all these different stances. But I love to focus on the Mediterranean diet. Mm -hmm. Does your listeners know what that is? Do I need to explain it a little bit more, or do you talk about it? I, I mean, fill it in. I think it'd be valuable to fill it in a little bit on on what types of foods, what proportions of fats, carbs, proteins generally. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about it. Okay. Yeah. So just starting with the Mediterranean diet, I usually just have people look up the pyramid for it. Um, it's basically all like fruits, vegetables on the bottom. Right. And then you kind of have like some whole grains, your fish, your like healthy fats. And then the next level is going to be like chicken, eggs, some dairy, and then the, and like beef. And then the top one is going to be, um, like your, alcohol and sweets. That's just honestly, because the Mediterranean diet is like based in like European style. So, you know, they had to throw their wine on there, but, um, mm -hmm. basically it's focusing on a lot of, you know, plants, like healthy plant, um, fruits, frats, obviously those omega threes, you know, avocados, nuts, uh, olive oil, just to name just a few. And, I know people really like to focus on the plate, you know, I, the plate diagram. I would say, you know, if you look down at your plate, making sure that you have the three macros is going to be the most important. So making sure you see a protein, fat, and carb on there is like number one check for me. Then we get into like mm -hmm. actual portion sizes. That's like the next level, right? The actual portion size, you want to see more of like the vegetables on the plate. Um, and then like, you know, maybe make that like half the plate and then split the other two into like the protein <laughs> yeah. side and then like the grains. Um, 
But like I said, I'm a little bit, if I'm being totally honest, I'm kind of a chill person when it comes to diet. Like I'm not like count everything out or make sure everything is like perfect. That's where I'm kind of like follow the Mediterranean diet. Um, I believe solely like wholeheartedly, excuse me, not solely in the 80, 20 rule. Like we're not going to be perfect. If we stress about being perfect, it's just, that's just not good for us. We keep talking about the adrenals. It's going to fry your adrenals. So just like the big thing is making sure all three macros are on the plate. That's like number one, um, mm-hmm. eating protein for breakfast. Nice. I'm sure you've talked about it <laughs> at least 20 to 30 grams in the morning. I love that. Please, please, please eat breakfast just in general. <laughs> I think intermittent fasting is still kind of a thing. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> it's still a thing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what I, I got it. So what does a breakfast look like for you? What do your meals look like? Like give us a breakfast, lunch, snack, dinner, or however meals you have kind of run us through. I mean, if you have any consistency or go-to meals, I'd love to hear about them. Yeah. So I, first of all, I just found out like I'm allergic to eggs. So my breakfast has changed a lot in the last week, but before that I love eggs and I think eggs are a wonderful source of a lot of nutrients. And I feel like sometimes I get a bad rep, like pertaining to cholesterol. And I'm like, you're going to be fine eating eggs. Like it's not, Mm -hmm. I wholeheartedly believe if you get like the good organic pasture-raised eggs, like you're good. Um, I hold that stance too. It's pretty supported in the research as well. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. But so I would eat two to three eggs depending on how hungry I was that morning. I just kind of listen to that two to three eggs. I did, I would always pair it with like a fat, right? So I love a good avocado toast. Um, mm-hmm. some days it's a fancy avocado toast. Sometimes they just smash avocado on like a piece of bread and just go with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always have that. That was something I loved. Um, you know, another lazy thing in the summer, I actually would do smoothies. I love a smoothie that also incorporates vegetables. So, you know, not just yeah. a fruit smoothie, but smoothies that have, you know, that turn green or like the weird brown color, but they still taste great. Yeah. Just throw some veggies in there. Yeah. Um, also the protein is going to be, you know, necessary. I think proteins are going to differ on for everyone. Some people really like the pea protein. Some people like the whey protein. I just think as long as you get a good quality of those, you're okay. Um, and then I also, I love scrambles like breakfast. I'm so sad. Like I'm like talking about this. I'm like, Oh, I can't eat eggs for a little bit. Um, but I love a good breakfast scramble because you can incorporate so much in there. Like throw zucchini. Um, I love zucchini and bell peppers in my eggs, some onions, some garlic, and then, um, some potatoes on the side and even throw some like avocado and like cheese on there for some fat. Um, so those are just some examples yeah. That I probably That's consistently awesome. ate. Yeah. What about lunch or middle of the day or next time you eat? Yeah. So I'm a big fan of like burrito bowl styles. Um, so having like mm-hmm. some quinoa, beans, um, chicken. Uh, some people really like tofu. I'm again, I can't have soy, so I don't throw soy in there, but um, it's it, people get really scared of soy. I mean, it's processed like tofu, but you know, there's, there's worse things if you don't like chicken or something like that. Uh, so definitely the burrito bowl style is like my fave. I do like a good salad, um, salad, but like not a salad where everyone like thinks that it's like plain with just like the dressing, <laughs> like give a salad with like, you know, some quinoa on it and a ton of veggies. And again, like a protein on top, 
I tell people add things in, like think of like the basic yeah. meals and then just keep adding like veggies to it. I love fruit. So I'm going to be honest. I, I didn't really say this earlier, but I eat fruit kind of throughout the day. That's just because I really love it as a snack. Um, a Greek yogurt, like a plain whole fat Greek yogurt, like no sugar added. I love, um, a little bit of granola and like a ton of fruit in that. And that's also a lot of protein. Nice. Nice. Um, so those are some examples. And then same thing, like with dinner, you know, just sometimes I just do it really simple, like just bake my chicken and have, you know, roasted vegetables. I know I keep talking about the veggies, but just, we got to emphasize the vegetables, right? <laughs> People forget about them. Um, yeah. I used, I used to not like broccoli and I tell people when I started spraying broccoli with olive oil and putting some garlic salt on it and then throwing it in the oven and just like kind of baking it for like 15 to 20 minutes, it, I started to love it and it was delicious. And now I can just eat that all the time. Um, so you'll get yeah. used to it. That's a good message for people. You can try it. Once you find your, your method of having something, it can be great. And I also want to emphasize something you said earlier about like, like powering up your meals. Like if you're used to like the plain version, like add some more things. And I'm thinking about like, I've been getting into these kind of powered up salads myself, which have the base of the greens. They typically have a, at least a half of maybe full avocado. I'm throwing olives in there of different kinds, hemp seeds all over the place for the protein omega-3s, nutritional yeast, and some sprouts. Love and it. now you have an extra version of olive oil-based dressing. Like that's a power salad. Then if, you, if you're able to have an egg, hard boiled egg in there. I mean, that salad's got like 30 grams of protein, like low in carbs, tons of veggies. You could chop up carrots or radish or celery or whatever, but like it doesn't take a lot to make and it'll keep you really full. So big fan of that. And of course, finding ways to cook your veggies good. That's great advice. Yeah. Um, yes. I love that. Power up your meals or whatever. That sounds so great. Uh, I did kind of want to touch mm -hmm. back really quick though. I know I said something about intermittent fasting. So I just want to clarify, I am not against intermittent fasting. I just think majority of people who do it, do it incorrectly. And the reason why I'm yeah. saying this is, is people will eat like late into the night, um, and then yeah. wake up and then not eat anything until like 12, one or two. And I'm like, that doesn't right. make any sense to me. Yeah. That's the time we need our most energy. So I rather have you eat from 7, even 9 a.m. Like, I'm not even going to push you that much. 9 a.m. Yeah. to like 6 or even 7, and then just stop until again to the morning. Um, so I just wanted to clarify that because I feel like sometimes it gets confusing. I think intermittent fasting can be a really helpful tool, but I just think we need to yeah. make sure we're eating enough calories and we're switching we need to make sure we're eating during the day when we're active. That's when it's gonna you're gonna yield the best results. Hundred percent. I'm glad you clarified that because I, I think there's actually a lot of new research coming out on like clock genes how we have different genes set up with their circadian rhythm in the sun, and that naturally we're as the human species we're active during the light and we sleep during the dark. We're meant to consume most of our calories during that time. And so, not eating too late is a good idea. Like regardless of what your meal timing schedule setup is like at least three, four hours before you go to bed, like that you've done digesting easier. It's going to help you sleep better. And then whenever you have breakfast, whether it's immediately in the morning, whether it's after a workout, or you push it back a little further, like you're still like, if you had dinner at six and then you have breakfast at six, you're still in 12 hours of fasting. Let yeah. alone if you had dinner, like, yeah, if you got to nine, you're at 15 hours of fasting. And like, everyone's going to find that they fast a little differently based on individual biochemistry, as well as hormones, as well as time in your cycle. So it could change and be a moving target, but either way, eat dinner earlier. That's like good concept. 
Yeah. And I would say, so sometimes I know, like I said, I, my thing is like, we're, we're humans. We like fall off the wagon. Sometimes I myself love good popcorn snack before, before like I go to bed or whatever on the weekends walk afterwards. Like I, I know it's yeah. crazy or like do a little bit of movement. Um, and that will honestly help yeah. a lot, like game changing. Um, so if you're going to do yeah. that, you can also supplement with something else that also kind of doesn't erase it, but you know what I'm saying? Like it kind of helps. It does kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It shifts the metabolism. That's so brilliant. I'm glad you brought that up. So again, to emphasize that, what Dr. B does when she has her indulgent popcorn because it's the wheat awesome and it's the weekend and it tastes so good is a little bit of movement afterwards actually allows those carbohydrates to be shuttled properly into the muscles and just helps with digestion. Like after dinner, I do at least 10 minutes of some kind of exercise, hop on the bike, take a walk, something light, not intense exercise, just a little movement helps digestion and helps blood sugar regulation. That's so yes. cool. It's the best. <laughs> Okay. Next topic. Now, I think in the, in the back part of this conversation, let's talk about what important considerations are around perimenopause, menopause, postmenopause, however you want to like take this. But I want to speak to all of our moms listening now who anywhere from 40 to 70 years old, changes are happening in the hormones. Like what's important to do in these different stages? Um, and what's like, what's some great tips worth sharing on these fronts? Yeah. So I would say a lot of people that come to me in perimenopause and menopause, they basically do all, they're doing all the same things that they were doing before that stage. And now all of a sudden it's kind of like catching up. Right. So I just say, this is, this is the time where we need to be a little bit more strict on making sure we really get all of that sleep. And, you know, if we're up in the middle of the night because of hot flashes, there are a lot of ways we can help with that. Um, and you know, find someone that can really help with that. Uh, so I know bioidentical hormone replacement therapy is a big, a big thing. It's not, it's not horrible, but I usually work with people first to see if we can get them to menopause, um, without having to do that. If not though, it's okay. Like I said, everyone's has their own journey, but you know, the basic foundations of health are just going to be key again. So getting good sleep movement in, you know, whatever movement feels the best to you. But I really recommend weightlifting for perimenopausal women. I mean, you always hear about osteoporosis yeah. and, you know, that has to do like weightlifting helps prevent that, um, for many different reasons, but so we're going to want to at least weightlift like two times a week and then having movement, you know, 30 minutes at least daily. And then the additional movement, um, also all the same things we talked about with the environmental toxins, uh, I really like to emphasize, you know, phytoestrogens, people, I feel like put a really bad light on them. I think they're finally coming out of the shadow now, but phytoestrogens aren't bad. There's bad in excess. Um, phytoestrogens can actually help you produce your own natural estrogen a little bit more or not produce it. Excuse me. They act on the receptor. Um, it's just a yeah. little bit lighter than regular estrogen, but it's going to help you because if you're in perimenopause or menopause, your estrogen's way lower than it's been, right? Or your estradiol, I should say. Yeah. Um, so phytoestrogens, for those people who don't know, I kind of talked about one earlier, soy. So like anything with soy is going to be a phytoestrogen. I just I just like to take them, people get so scared of them. <laughs> so I just like to make sure that we're mm -hmm. not afraid of them. Um, what are some other examples of phytoestrogens? So like, like flax, 
clover? Like what, what are some like practical sources of phytoestrogens that people are getting into their diet? I really love that. I love that you brought up seeds. So like flax and pumpkin seeds are a really great source. I honestly, myself, just for like my personal hormonal balance, I do something called seed cycling. I don't know if you've talked about it on here at all. Um, I can dive a little bit more into it, but basically those... We We have once, but I think it'd be worth, it'd be worth getting into it. Please do. Yeah. So seed cycling is where you use seeds to literally go with your cycle. What a lot of people don't know is you can actually use them in perimenopause and menopause. Granted, they can be used slightly different than if you're trying to actually regulate your cycle, but it's where there's like pumpkin seeds and flax seeds, chia seeds and sesame seeds, and you have to have them ground. Um, So you make sure that they're ground. There are kits that have organic seeds like this. You can go and buy them in bulk if you would like. Um, And then, but you do a say you are doing it to regulate your cycle or in perimenopause, you would do it, you know, in your follicular phase. So that's from your period to predicted ovulation. And then you would start the second seed cycling kit from ovulation to, um, you, the first day of your period. And that just, both of those, we have phytoestrogens. And then we also have, um, seeds that support progesterone levels. So there's just a natural way to, support your hormones instead of like giving you synthetic hormones. So both of those seed groups are going to act on receptors and act like estrogen, act like progesterone. And they're just going to give that little nudge that your body might be needing at that time. Okay. That's nice. And people can definitely learn more about seed cycling. And we have had another conversation on here with Dr. Mindy Pels, who gets into that a little bit as well. So there's a lot of great resource on that. Now, back to the perimenopause, menopause. One thing you suggested was that, hey, like look at your family history. You know, I don't know, like if someone has like estrogen sensitive cancers, like maybe, maybe like obviously check with your doctor before just doing any crazy stuff if that's in your family history. That said, you're saying that these um, phytoestrogens maybe found in like choice sources like the flax or the soy can be good because they bind to the estrogen receptor and give you a little bit of a boost when your body's in a deficient and that can help level you out. What do you think about things like maca? Are there any kind of like herbs or plants that are helpful from like a more naturopathic perspective that women can take supplementally through the perimenopause period or just stuff that's not actually hormonal, but maybe just helps sleep? Like what's the supplement stack if there's a go-to for this? Yeah, that's also a really great question. So one maca, I'm going to be totally honest, I haven't seen it help a lot of people. Um, Some people respond really well to it. If you do, it's not going to hurt you. That's totally fine. Like go for it. Um, Other herbs that I love, I don't know if you've ever heard of wild yam or maybe damiana. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So that one's really helpful. Um, That one also would be classified as like a phytoestrogen-ish. Yeah. Um, so that one is really helpful. If I'm, there's actually, um, it's on full script. It's something it's called women's phase two. It's actually, I think it's by Vitanica. Mm-hmm. That is one of my favorite supplements that I see. It, it's, it's a game changer for women who have hot flashes, basically hot flashes. Like that's like, I feel like the worst symptom mm-hmm. for like a lot of people cause they can't sleep. And it's just, some of them yeah. are really intense for women. Um, and I, so ask a physician before using it, but women phase two is one of my favorites. It has the yam, the wild yam in it, um, as well as a few other herbs. Um, I also, you know, like to recommend 
Um, I was trying to think of specific supplements because I also think that it's really important. Quality is really important. Um, just want to emphasize that because mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot of supplements that have wild DM in it, but they're not ethically sourced or they're not really great. So make sure you're getting one that is really good. Um, obviously taking vitamin D is going to be really important. I personally love like a seeking health yeah. vitamin D. I really like liquid ones. Um, I think it's just mm -hmm. better for our bodies to process. Um, vitamin B, like the B complex for sure. Magnesium is really helpful yeah. for a lot of women at night time. Um, I don't usually prescribe it during the day, but there's, uh, if it doesn't make you sleepy, that's fine. <laughs> Uh, and then obviously zinc, zinc's a big one, but don't take it too much if you're not doing it with copper. And then again, it's really case by case basis, like what you're experiencing. I think the foundations of health are my favorite things to talk about on like podcasts. Um, just, just because I get a little nervous about giving blanket supplement recommendations because, yeah, you know, so like, for example, I'm going to mention this one, but it doesn't mean go out and get it. <laughs> um, DHEA. Mm -hmm. DHEA can right. help a lot of women feel better, more energy. It helps with their testosterone levels that also plummet during perimenopause phase. Right. With that being said, not everyone needs DHEA because sometimes yeah. I look and I see that they're, I pull their labs and I see DHEA is totally fine. And I don't want to prescribe yeah. it because it can lead to more acne hair loss, like all these other things that can happen that I feel like no one talks about. So it's really important to, for me at least, to emphasize like actually reaching out to someone who knows what they're doing when it comes to menopause and supplements. Nice. Yeah. I mean, it's great, great answer. And I think it'll, this will at least spur people to start to do their own research and get excited about finding someone who can help them. And on the zinc and the copper thing, just a small aside is like a lot of the foods we've talked about are like rich in copper. Like we talk about the foods high in copper. We're talking about like avocados, sesame seeds, <laughs> tofu is, you know, oysters, mushrooms, uh, sweet potatoes. So like you eat a balanced diet, you're going to get these good minerals. And now it's like even more important during the menopause period. Um, and also cool that there are some herbs and supplements that can help. I'm really glad that you brought up some of that stuff. All right. Well, this was a good tour. I know this is a topic that you could probably give like multi-day talks on, let alone in just 45 minutes. Um, but I do appreciate you sharing everything that you have. And I'd love to turn the floor over to you one more time. I guess to put a little capstone or bow on this, if there's anything you felt like is like unsaid, um, as well as any words of encouragement you want to leave our listeners with, as well as any place that they can connect with you further to learn more about your work and, and just get in contact with you. Yeah. Um... Like you said, there was like so much, like I was trying to figure out like what's the most important for each of these topics, but I think there could be 45 minute conversations on each one that we talked about today. Um, but I do want to emphasize that for all of the things that we talked about, the main things like as a summary to focus on are the like foundations of health, right? So sleep, number one, you know, diet, so nutrition, movement is going to be really important. Your mental health, we didn't talk about a lot about that, but mental health is not something to be skipped over. And it is really important working with your stress levels, your cortisol. Um, that's, that cannot, that, that I need to make sure I say that before I go. Um, and then, you know, eliminating those environmental toxins. That's also going to be something that I've now put in the foundations of health. Um, 
And it's just, I just wanted to make sure that we like had that, like you said, tied in about those are kind of the things to focus on. Um, I myself talk a lot about it on my page. Um, walk the natural path is my Instagram. I always love when people shoot me a DM and say, Hey, like I heard you on this podcast, or I just wanted to say, hi, please reach out. Like I really like forming connections with everyone. And again, like Dr. Anthony, thank you so much for having me like on today. This was really fun. Like I said, I feel like I could have talked forever and ever about all of these different things. <laughs> I appreciate you. I, I appreciate you bringing your perspective, your energy, your kindness, and and just like your level-headed approach to this. I think that came through, not just like tactics, but just how, I don't know, we don't have to go crazy about this. We can get results with the 80-20. And also sharing the specifics from your life was very helpful. I know I took a lot of things from this that are valuable. And I'm not even a woman. So that is wonderful. <laughs> like, I mean, I got that amount of value, let alone everyone here who's directly going to benefit from your information. So Dr. B, thank you. I appreciate you a lot for coming on today. I know our mother community does as well. And this episode is going to be great to get out there. Thank you. Hey there, my friend. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Fit Mother Project podcast. If you love what you heard, I have a favor to ask you. Please consider taking 60 seconds right now to leave us a rating and review on our podcast. Leaving us a review is super quick. It only takes a minute and it's so, so helpful to us as it really boosts this podcast to reach more people who need this information and this message. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, you can leave us a star rating and review. If you're watching on YouTube, you can hit the like button and leave us a comment. Overall, I truly appreciate you being with us here on the podcast. On behalf of me and my entire Fit Mother Project team, we truly feel honored and grateful to support you and your family on your journey to fantastic health. I thank you for your support of this podcast and of this mission. Also, if you're interested in joining our Complete Fit Mother program and becoming an official member of our community, you can visit our website, fitmotherproject.com. And on the Fit Mother site, you'll be able to see our Complete Fit Mother program along with our online store with the best supplements designed for busy moms. And you'll also find a ton of free resources like recipes, workouts, meal plans, and more. God bless you and your family. This is Dr. Anthony Balduzzi signing off. I'll catch you on the next episodes of the Fit Mother Project podcast.